Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Beyond the Big Screen Podcast with your host, Steve Guerra. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we are joined by our friend, Chris. Chris and I have already recorded several episodes, but this is actually the first one to be published. And it's a little bit of a departure from the ones that we've already recorded. So, But you will see. Today, we have a very special episode that is not a Halloween special. It's a Dia de los Muertos special. We are going to talk about the 2017 movie Coco. I love this movie. I love Mexican culture, and I'm really excited about this episode. So, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Um, yeah, I was joking around with you earlier this week or whatever, and I was like, it's funny, like the movies that we had done before are all like R-rated movies, and we're like, well, let's think of a Halloween movie, and I'm like, oh, let's do Nightmare on Elm Street. Let's do this. Let's do that. And you're like, Coco. And I was like, then I was thinking during the week, I just kind of laughed. I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, so of course, for the Halloween movie, we're going to be doing a family friendly. Other than that, I'm doing good. All right. Awesome. Well, in another twist, I'm going to kind of step out of my usual hosting role here. And I'm going to slide more into the interviewee seat because I really love this movie. And I've, I've done a fair amount of research on a lot of the topics involved in this movie. So I thought it might be fun for me to chat a little bit. I'm obviously no expert on any of this. And I'd love for people to uh, uh, contact us if you have any uh, questions, comments, or corrections. But um, Chris, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the production details? Oh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, like you, the movie came out 2017. The was from my understanding is I believe the biggest budgeted animation movie ever was something like $170 million they spent on this. And they worked on it from, I believe it was like 2000. They started working on this movie in like 2006. I want to say, if I remember reading that correctly and like, yeah, it didn't get released until 2017. Yeah. I read somewhere. It was the longest, it was the longest production schedule too of any animated film. Yeah, and it's directed by Lee. I can't I can't pronounce that guy's what's how do you pronounce his last name? It's the director was Lee Unkrich, which is interesting because he directed Monsters Inc. most of the Toy Story movies, and he worked his way up through the ranks in Pixar. He started off as a pretty lowly, and now he directs most of their big movies, which I thought that was really interesting. 
and yeah, and a lot of people of just reading reviews and stuff like that, a lot of people are saying um, this is the best Pixar movie made in terms of like the themes and the visuals and just how ambitious it was. Uh, and it's, you know, it's very rare that uh, even for me, I'm like, I'm not like, you know, like kids movies, you know me. Uh, and this, this thing hit it right out of the park. Uh, and the cast is when I looked it up, but they're all uh, Spanish. They're all Spanish and Spanish Americans or Mexicans. Are they not except for Benjamin Bratt? And I think Benjamin Bratt, I think he might be of Mexican heritage. I'm not sure. Probably, that's probably the case. I believe so. But there's um, Hal Garcia Bernal. He's a um, Mexican-American actor who's done quite a bit in both Mexican and American film. And then Anthony Gonzalez, he played Miguel. And he actually, they were going to have somebody else do the singing, but then he wound up being such a good singer, they used him. Benjamin Bratt, who is a well-known character actor, and then a little a short cameo from Edward James Olmos. Yeah. Oh, it's funny that you mentioned the Miguel character, because when I was reading about the early production, the original kid, I guess they had for playing Miguel, uh, he, he grew up. So they had to find the, the one that's in the movie now, because like when you hit puberty, your voice changes, right? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So they would have had to have had somebody just carry it through or, you know, you couldn't yeah. have somebody who was much older unless he was a really great voice actor, which you don't necessarily yeah. know that. No, it's just, it, it shows you like just how crazy the production on this movie was and how long it took that that was that was a problem that they had it's just it blows my mind so i thought it might be good before we really instead of summarizing the movie like we often do i thought it might be good to just kind of like lay out what dia de los muertos is or in spanish it's just dia de muertos in spanish it isn't there's no los in it because that's just not necessary it's kind of an english thing that gets uh, thrown in there, but it's it's basically a Catholic tradition of All Saints and All Souls Day celebration. Uh, and you really can't say that Dia de los Muertos is Mexican Halloween because it's, well, firstly, it's not on Halloween and it's really a very different tradition. It's a part of the traditional Roman Catholic celebration of All Hallowtide or All Holies, the three-day festival. And English naming always confuses all of these, the original meaning of a lot of these church terms. And it's basically what it is, is October 31st is All Saints Day evening, All Hallows Eve, which gets kind of muddled together in English into Halloween. And the Eve comes from the evening song or Vespers, the liturgical celebration done the night before a religious holiday or feast. And feast does not necessarily mean a time for like eating a ton. It's a specific holiday, a holy day celebrated in the church liturgical calendar. So then you go to the next day, the actual holiday on November 1st, and that's All Saints Day. And that's a celebration of all saints in the Roman Catholic Church. Now, specific saints are commemorated on days throughout the calendar, but All Saints Day is the catch-all for all of them, even the ones that don't have a specific day on the liturgical calendar. Then you move to then you move to November second, which is All Souls Day, and that's a commemoration of all departed people. 
And all departed people in Roman Catholic tradition can, they'll be commemorated on various days, but this is the, again, the catch-all for all of them. And there's history to all of these, all Saints Day, all Souls Days that go back hundreds, and I mean, in church history, thousands of years. But so the um, the Dia de los Muertos celebration is celebrated over November 1st and 2nd. And like in the very, very long story of where our concept of Halloween comes from, you can actually see I did a video on that in the history of the papacy in 10 minutes on YouTube. But really, really in short, Halloween in the Anglosphere, the US, the UK, Canada, Australia, etc., has evolved really differently than the all holy season of the Catholic Church, really due to different cultural influences like the Irish and the introduction of Protestantism, which kind of didn't have a whole thing, a whole lot to do with wanting to commemorate saints and then commemorate the dead. It was kind of a, a, a difference in thinking that came out of Protestantism. But that, like I said, I do have a video on that if anybody's interested. Now, Dia de los Muertos and the All Saints, All Souls, uh, three days. In, in these cultures, it's a happy occasion where one gets to remember the deceased relatives and hang out with family. There's really no ghoulish, scary element to it. There's celebrations, there's eating, singing, enjoyment. Um, and this is in general in Catholic countries. It's not just Mexico and it's not just Latin America. It's in Spain and Italy and parts of Eastern Europe and all across the country, the Phil or the world rather, and the Philippines. Now, Dia de los Muertos in Mexico and in other parts of Central America, Mesoamerica, it kind of syncretizes elements of traditional Spanish Catholic practices with Mesoamerican and Aztec and Nahuatl uh, practices, something like the ofrenda, the, um, which is just Spanish for offering. The ofrenda is the table that's set up with pictures of deceased relatives, and they can trace that back to Aztec customs. Uh, different foods, alcoholic beverages, candied skulls, marigold flowers that have a, um, traditionally they're believed their strong scent draws souls from the land of the dead. These are Aztec customs and they're really big in a Mesoamerican Indian culture. Then you have the papel picado, the intricately cut colorful streamers cut from tissue paper. You see right in the beginning of the, um, the movie where um, they're animated, which was really cool. And those are really, really popular in um, Latin American culture, particularly in Mexican culture. And then finally, really the importance of remembering individuals deceased in um, both Catholic and the Mesoamerican Indian cultures. It's, I mean, most cultures have something to that degree, but it was super important in the Spanish Catholic and when they combined with the Mesoamerican culture, it kind of like supercharged it into Dia de los Muertos. Catholics and traditional Christianity have many rituals to remember individuals who have died. There's um, the memory eternal that the um, Eastern Orthodox do. The Catholics have many traditions along this line. And it's really the idea of not 
just forgetting someone when they're dead. Um, African cultures have interesting things about this too. Of it's, I think you when you look at these things, it's just so different than how uh, how. Americans and Canadians in the Anglosphere and kind of Protestant cultures interface with the dead now. And I think that's something we can talk about. But, um, and it's something else of connecting to way distant ancestors. Like now people are kind of getting in, back into ancestry, you know, with the rise of ancestry.com and those sort of things. But like your average American, if you ask them, what do you really know about maybe? a great great grandparent i mean i don't know very much about them and you t- then you start getting into great 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 grandparents and great 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 and so on and so forth and that's where you know i would know what i would have to do and ans- search on ancestry and there's not a lot of family lore about these things but i think in a, a lot of other cultures they have a lot more connection to that sort of thing now, Chris, what do you think about this? Like in your context, what do you know about your family? Would you say that you have the connection to past or is it kind of fizzle out at some point? Well, when you were mentioning about like, uh, like being part of the Protestant culture, right? It is like watching this movie and it's what you mentioned about like remembering uh, uh, your family, right? Your tradition, where you came from, right? It's It really hit me home because me and you have had many conversations about along these lines right in terms of like just kind of like debates that we've had about like what's important what's not important but to be honest with you like growing up in a protestant culture and it's yeah it's it's very alien to me because it's not something i really grew up with uh like we have family pictures on the walls and stuff like that but nothing like that's depicted in coco Uh, yeah yeah it's it's very foreign and in terms of my personal family history like i know and I can't say this with 100% certainty, but I'm pretty sure that like I have a pretty much mainly English background, but I believe my family moved here. My ancestors moved here pretty, I think 20 years before uh, the Great War broke out. So we've been here for a long time, but obviously no, nobody like super remarkable. So I think I've come from like a lawn stock of like, Anglo blue collar workers, <laughs> but I don't know for sure. Right. Cause like you said, like Protestant cultures for whatever reason, it's, I don't think it was always this way, but it, it especially in modern, like Anglo societies, Protestant societies, like it's just not something that people seem to really care all that much about, but I'm sure if you went back like 70 years, it might not be as intense as it is depicted in the movie Coco, but it would probably, it'd be something People would be more aware of, you know, where they came from and who their great grandparents were and what they did. Right. I mean, I think probably a lot would have to do with modernization, too, where people are, you know, so many people moved from where they had lived for for so long, you know, especially yeah. in the last hundred years or so. I know my family has most most of the you know ancestors going back are relatively new to this to the U.S. and so you know they and they moved around. You know, each generation moved around a bit, and I you know even recently, most of my cousins and you know first second cousins. 50% of the ones that I know have moved from where we even traditionally were that, you know, if you can say where the a family lived for maybe 
a couple of less than a hundred years as the tradition, but I think as people move, as people um, are not in contact with each other, that sort of like familial and institutional memory just it vaporizes really quickly once people are have lost that connection. And now a brief word from our sponsors. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everyone. I'd like to say something about a new product I've tried called Calatrin. Doctors endorse it. Nutritionists recommend it. And customers love it. Calatrin is for healthy weight loss. I have taken Calatrin myself, and I can honestly confirm that I've lost weight, I sleep better, and I have found relief from a joint injury that I sustained in my arm. Calatrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age, and I am reaching of that age where things decrease. Taking Calatrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calatrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free, plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word BBS two three zero six zero five and I'll send you a link to this special offer. Text the word BBS two three zero six zero five. Give Kellatrin a try. I think you'll enjoy it, and I'll talk to you next time. It's a very North American thing too. Like I've I've noticed. I can't speak for like Australia and other like former British colonies or what have you, but it does really seem like a very uniquely American slash Canadian thing where people just move like just all the time, great distances. Where like in maybe it's different now in Europe, but like back in the day in Europe, like that's you just didn't do that. Like you basically stayed in France you might move a little bit you know especially when the railroad came around and travel became a little bit easier but yeah you basically stayed where you were born maybe you might move a little bit uh, I that I don't know I mean it probably goes from person to person and place to place because there is a lot of you know there's people who you know move for um education and career opportunities but I think maybe these cultural things that they've established, 
keep the families connected, like you move to a different part of Mexico or even to the United States, you're keeping those connections to your family and you're not just, well, hey, you know what? I live in uh, Minnesota now and I'll call my you know, mom once a quarter to say hi and call her maybe twice a quarter on her birthday. Like maybe these cultural institutions that they've established through their traditional culture and their you know, their religion are keeping these family bonds more stable. Yeah. No, that's very true, right? Like what you mentioned, right? Like I'm I just I just find like a lot of like when I have conversations with people, it's like oh, you don't like where you are. And like, usually everyone's first response, oh, just move, right? Like nobody seems like they're tied to a place. Like there's no real connection to a place, right? And I don't know, I just always have found it kind of weird about North American culture, right? Like where people just, because I'm not really that way. Like I've moved a couple of times, but like I, you know, I've never like left Ontario. I've never moved I lived in North Bay for a little bit, which is, if people aren't familiar, is like pretty far up north in northern Ontario, but I only lived there for like a year. Like, I've never really moved around all that much, right? I don't know. It's just, it's just one of those things, like, I like being able to, like, I like the familiarity of, like, oh, you know, this is where I, I'm just thinking about it now. And it's like, oh, I took my daughter to this park, you know, my daughter went to this school, you know, I know her friends, I know, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to, like, a community, right? Uh where like I find like a lot of people in Canada and you know the Americans that I talk to, it's just like people just move on a whim. Like it's just you know it's just not I don't know it's just not something that people seem to I don't know really think too much about. You know, and you know I get it. Um, people have to move for all different types of reasons. You know, a factory closes down in the town, and there's you know a depression, and there's not much work, and you know people move, right? Well, at least we have the opportunity to do that. In some other countries, they don't. We're in Cocoa. I don't know. They're, they're really grounded where they are, right? Like they're very. The family is very proud shoemakers, and they they take it very seriously, right? And you could the whole family lives in the same house, and you know. You don't know for sure in the movie, but they've probably have been living in that house for hundreds of years. I've done shows like this and other times where the guest and I aren't of that culture. And so this is obviously that situation where we're not of the Mexican culture. So we can't speak directly to that. But I think we can speak to, especially watching this movie, how an outsider perceives what's in the movie. And I think that that's important because they're, you know, they've made this movie to have people perceive it who aren't necessarily of that culture. And I think that's an interesting lens. And I would very much like this if people are of Mexican heritage, Central American heritage to kind of, if you want to write in and guide us and give us some ideas, because I think that would be really interesting. But I think, you know, ultimately, if we're doing this episode, and I think it's, it's an important thing to that this is a predominantly a children's movie, but it's also made for adults to enjoy and to have discussions about. And I think that that's interesting. Uh, from my understanding, the creators and the people involved are very proud of the movie because it it does a good job of representing uh, traditional Mexican culture. You know what I think is a really interesting aspect of the movie and kind of the the, the, the whole vibe, if you will, of Dia de los Muertos versus Halloween, because I think that's an interesting conversation. 
everything and it seems to be more and more so that Halloween gets darker and darker and more about the monsters and blood and kind of the supernatural and where it, you know everything in Coco is bright and bright colors and you know light there's no darkness there and i wonder if that's something that where does that come from that that difference and it seems to be a, a something that's even diverging even more and you know one thing that i come back to is in you know and it's something that a lot of people talk about is that in north american culture and in you know the anglosphere so to speak that we become so divorced from death death is something that's sanitized you go to the hospital you die and then you get, you know, put in a box and you're buried and it's like, you don't touch any of that. And you're away from that. And I think in a lot of ways, like even in my own experience, like a lot of the things that people do in other cultures would horrify a lot of Americans of like kissing the dead person. And the, the family will be the ones who prepare the body of their deceased loved one for burial like these things are such foreign concepts to most people living in north america and keep using that it's i would say that i'm my guess is that it would probably be something very similar for australians and probably very similar for most people who live in the uk too that their connection with death is so separated that it becomes terrifying almost kind of weird way of dealing with uh death and i can speak with I'm not not to get like too personal or what have you, right? But I can speak, you know, like kind of personally where um this kind of almost like you want to be detached from it, right? It's not something that you really want to accept. It's it's a very weird, I don't I don't I don't want to say necessarily it's like a terrible way of dealing with it's just it's very, very, very it's very different is the best way I can describe it. And I think that it's even more of a modern thing. Like I can remember my grandmother saying that I think it was when her, maybe her father or her grandfather died. Like they had the funeral in the wake, like right in their house, in their front room. That's where they kept the body and people, neighbors came by and, you know, that's where they did it. It wasn't at a funeral home where the, you know, where everything is so sanitized it's like you don't yeah. deal with it at all and i think that it's you know it's an attitude that we've probably developed through our through modern healthcare and through a lot of different cultural societal technological innovations that have come along that really have a separated our cultures from from death well you mentioned death and it's it, it if you look at like a lot of what goes on in like the the anglosphere like there's this like you pointed out like people are terrified of death i mean look at all the things that people do to like fight back aging you know like because aging is a sign that you're closer to you know joining the land of the dead right look at the, the insane plastic surgeries that people get now and all these different types of drugs that people are taking to you know slow down their aging process like we we watched a we did a, a show on the movie Prometheus, right? And the, the whole thing hinges on like an old man that just does not, he doesn't want to die. Yeah, can't let go, can't. Whereas in, you know, you think about how it's changed, like the idea of midlife crisis, you hit a certain age and you want to go back and act like a 20-year-old again, wherein, you know, traditionally, like if you made it to 
45 or 50, you were ecstatic eh, to be that age. And yeah. you had grown into, you're an elder, you're wise, you're respected. You People wanted to grow old because it showed that they a, were healthy enough and they had survived a lot of hardship and they got there and they were respected and you know they were an elder in, in every sense of the word. Now people, maybe because it's so easy to get to be those ages that's where again you get into that idea of fearing death that idea in you know something like dia de los muertos where the the belief is that your family members live in the land of the dead and there's this idea of the land of the dead and they can come back into um the land of the living to visit and that's a part of the the tradition and the celebration but this idea that it's not lights out when you die you know you still have that connection with your family and even if you're you know not into religion or all that you're still being remembered you know that your memory is going to go on even when you're keeled over that your family is going to continue to remember you onward and you know, everybody wants some sense of posterity after they're gone. But when we're living in a context where most people don't even know the name of their great grandparents, you know, your idea that you're going to, your memory is going to hang on is going away. Maybe that will change, though, technologically speaking, where we have so much recorded of our lives now. Maybe that will continue. I don't know. No, that's a, that's an interesting idea, and the, this might sound like it's like completely out of left field or what have you. But like, if you look at like um, you mentioned you mentioned in the movie, it talks about like family remembering you and people remembering you, right? If you look at like uh, even ancient Greek culture, like if you read like the Iliad or what have you, like what what that's like what's like Achilles' like big thing, right? Like he wants to be remembered for eternity right i think mission accomplished he got that mm -hmm. done right uh but this um this strive of like wanting so your ancestors remember who you are right like um it's a very i just thought of it right now right it reminds me a bit of uh ancient greek pagan culture in a sense right um where everyone was trying to be like a quote-unquote like great man right so their ancestors would remember not just their ancestors the entire world would uh remember their deeds right yeah what's a, i mean go on a deep dive here in that movie troy and i don't know if this was based on any sort of like herodotus or anything but the mom asks achilles uh maybe it was the mom it doesn't really matter but somebody asks achilles would you rather live to be a hundred and not be remembered or die tomorrow and have your memory go on forever. And he's like, it's a no brainer, which one I'd go for, you know? And so I think that that's such a different mentality than what we're often dealing with, you know, die happy, happy in your bed at a hundred or, and so live a nice, full, rich life, but then you're going to be forgotten within a generation or two or have this heroic ending and then live on forever. I think that, you know, you might ask a, a hundred people on the street today and they would have a very different answer than people at different times and places in history would have to that question. Yeah, and it's it's in the in not to jump ahead, but in well, in the movie the 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 bad guy right he, he's always going to be remembered right because it, 
because he's, he's an icon, yeah. Him, right? yeah, an icon, right? Uh, I mean, he also the t- the caveat is he also has to live with what he did for all of eternity, right? So was it worth it? I mean, in the movie, he doesn't seem like he really cares, but I would assume eventually that would eat away at your soul, right? Uh, in terms of like that. Not to go on a super, super deep dive, but it almost seems like it's kind of like a weird mixture where like paganism and like traditional like Christianity are almost kind of like kind of like merging. Right. Uh, People have said this about Catholicism, too. Right. Where they've like they took some of the pagan ideas and like kind of merged it in like a Christian context. Right. Um, I know like that was like a Protestant uh, complaint about stuff like purgatory, which is like kind of what um day of the dead or land of the dead i kind of reminds me of is it's almost like kind of like a purgatory in a sense um that's probably not entirely accurate but it's just like i get the same kind of vibes right and even the dog is named dante so i don't think it's um i don't think it's i think they're like kind of hinting at that right like it's almost kind of like some kind of version of purgatory and you know for my reading of like martin luther or what have you i remember that was always like as though that was always like a Calvinist Protestant like uh, attack, like purgatory is like a leftover from uh like pagan paganism or what have you, right? Was that is that accurate? Because you've uh, studied more about this than me. I think too with the movie they played with the um, with they played with some of these ideas like Dante the dog when uh it, he winds up being one of these and the family has that um, Griffin that um, like lion type thing with the wings. They call those albrijes and, and they're, it's a Mexican folk art and the movie more or less tied them into the Dia de los Muertos. They're not a part of the culture. It was a folk art invented in the, in the early 20th century of these brightly colored uh clay figurines that were kind of mis- whimsical and mystical and they're really a, b- a big part of the movie as a um deus ex machina to get you know there at each step of the way and you know it's in a way like that was kind of one of my problems with the movie is that there's a lot of these deus ex machina where they just like where um they're in that um i can't remember the name of those pits they're common in mexico where they're um sinkholes and there's a, a name for them in spanish but that's where um de la cruz puts hector and miguel into there to kind of die i guess they're, you know whatever the death is in the land of the dead but then the, um there are the family's albrije which turns into almost like a um, guardian angel or a spirit animal goes and saves them and i'm there's got to be a better way to move the story past that point. But I mean, that's uh, that I thought that that was kind of one of the faults with the movie is that they relied on them. And, you know, I you always have to go back that it is a kid's movie and that's a cool thing for the kids to see. And, you know, they have to balance quality storytelling with, a you know, something that's good for kids, too. But it was so cool looking. That's yeah. my, like that's like the on the technical like the 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 actual filmmaking part of it is this movie is absolutely stunning it's when he first goes into the uh land of the dead um and he's walking on those uh petals uh yeah. i think marigolds you called them yeah it, it's it's honestly one of the most like beautiful scenes i've seen film and like modern cinema it's stunning and 
how everything is so brightly colored and it like on the surface of it it doesn't it should make sense because you have like all these bright colors that are mixed and matched but somehow it works and then you get that shot of the, the actual city where everyone's living and it's it's so colorful yet not it's not overwhelming i don't know how to describe it um but to me like in terms of like the, just the actual filmmaking part of it that's that's the thing i remember watching it the first time and was just blown away how they were able to make that kind of color palette work it's it's beautiful and now a brief word from our sponsors Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. One of the best works of art about World War I isn't Johnny Got His Gun or 1917, but the Swedish heavy metal band Sabaton's album, The Great War. Here's lead singer Joachim Bronner. From a more general point of view, I feel like our music, from the emotional spectrum, I guess, that's in our music. It's pretty emotionally close to what you'd find on the battlefield or in history. You're of obviously the aggression, sometimes a sense of joy and pride, sometimes depression, and all of these things. You can listen to our full interview on the History Employed podcast, and you can find it on the podcast player of your choice. They were some of the most powerful men who've ever lived. They waged war, forged peace, and altered the fates of billions of people. And yet, they were just as human, just as flawed as you and me. They were the presidents of the United States, and they are the subjects of the history podcast, This American President. In each episode of This American President, we explore how flawed men have managed this awesome responsibility. To listen now, go to ParthenonPodcast.com or search This American President on your favorite podcast platform. Yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering if that might have been some of the technicalities to make that really work and yeah. work the way they wanted it to work, that the technology had to catch up to their imaginations. Yeah. I mean, even TV wise, I remember watching this. I don't, I didn't see it in the, in the uh, theater when it came out, but I watched it like on my regular TV. And then uh, I finally got a 4k like ultra TV and I watched that just recently and it was like, Whoa, this is cool. Yeah. It's, 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 absolutely amazing like and it's you mentioned it like uh it's so bright yet there's like a dark kind of a darkness to the whole thing right like where you you have all these bright colors and yet you when you're watching the movie you do feel like you're in the land of the dead like you feel like you're in another like almost like the afterworld to a degree but you're surrounded by these bright colors like it's it's incredible how they were able to do it. It's like my favorite part of the film is um, just all these amazing bright colors. Because how they were able to do that, I it, it still blows my mind. How like you you're surrounded by like you know like rays of sunshine, right? With these marigolds, it's almost like gold. There's like a almost a subdued color palette still to the whole. I don't know how they pulled it off, but they did, and it's they hit it right out of the park. That and the music, because I'm not generally one for musicals, and that's what kind of makes me tune out when the Disney movies are around. But I think they really caught 
Mexican music too, and all of its its different forms, and I th- with the music and the visuals and the the cultural aspect that they got, they really pulled together a really good movie. Yeah, especially like, and I'm not even I'm not really familiar with uh, uh, Mexican music, right? It's not. I don't know. It's just never something I've really ever listened to. This movie has made me want to listen to a little bit of it more, right? I, it, yeah, it was an interesting for me because I really haven't listened to it all that much. Yeah, and then tying back to that idea of the the filmmaking with the story, I think in that, you know, some of those last scenes, the really the last scenes when Miguel finally gets back to the the land of the living, and he, I'm mean, the singing, I just. You know, how can it not tear at your heartstrings? And then, you know, the fast forward to the next scene to where it's a year later. And I mean, obviously, we've given away spoilers. So and you know, the people who listen to the show know this is spoilers, but where uh, Mama Coco is dead, and she's gone on back to the living and the whole family's back together. I think, and, you know, in these movies, a lot of times they really do leave elements hanging and i think in the end that they really did they pulled together really amazing filmmaking and technologically a great pixar movie with all those themes that carried through really heavy ideas that i've never seen them really explore in any other pixar movie and i think that that's what attracted me to this movie and made it a movie that i'll keep going back to and i think that it's it's a movie that really kids enjoy it and even if they're not getting all of it i think that this is one of the few movies that you know pixar movies at least to me that really keep unfolding more and more it's not even just the kids or a pixar movie it's just like a lot of hollywood movies in general right like it's it coco really makes you ch- it challenges your ideas of like what it means to be family um the importance of tradition right and the importance of like maintaining these traditions right like what's the lesson i don't know to me well what's the biggest lesson in coco is the whole family tried to deny uh, a part of their heritage right which was the musical tradition right and you just you can't do that like you can't just like take the take all the good and then just like oh whatever about the well at the time they thought it was bad they find out later that uh you know that that wasn't the case right that hector had been murdered right which was another thing that was um i don't think pixar's ever really kind of like yeah that was a super dark that was a really dark element that they put into the movie and i think that you know that uh, um ernesto de la cruz was not a typical villain either they never portrayed him as super evil he wasn't the evil queen he wasn't the you know he had that facade of a nice guy an iconic musician and then he has that rotten core and that they explored that in a movie format is really i thought that that was really amazing too and the the way they did that uh, you know portrayed somebody in such a 360 that the, in a way that normally does not happen in that sort of movie now the and it just came to my mind right now i've been on like a, a true crime binge recently right and it's you read about like some of these guys or what have you like some of the famous killers or what have you right and it's um it's, it's exactly like the 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 main protagonist in coco right where on the surface of it it seems oh this guy's a great guy right but like right underneath it right if you just scratch it a little bit right the guy's a stone cold sociopath 
and it's just it was really like you know he just he killed his friend and his music partner and to steal his music and then he bragged and then he brags about it because he did a movie where he reenacts the same scene right and made money off of it like that to me that's that's i mean that's something ted bundy would do you know or one of these like uh like a sociopath right um and it's this isn't a Pixar movie, right? You know, like I mean, we're taking it a little bit further, right? But um But it's all that they laid it out for you. That's yeah. the case that they laid out is that he's a sociopath. He killed his musical partner to steal his music and launched his career off of that. I mean, that's the, that's the story they're telling there. And then the repercussions of like Hector died when well, he died and then his, his family turned his back on him and he's been stuck in the land of the dead. And, and he's about to be forgotten. And yeah. they show what happens to people who don't have someone to carry on their memory. That's the thing that's hanging over Hector's head the whole time is that he's going to basically like die a second death. And yeah he's gone and that's like yeah. really like um what do they call it in latin um memoriae dem nazio where you're just gone yeah and the main the main protagonist he knows all of this right he knows this is going on and yet he he doesn't care it's really dark um and, but it's not played like that right like for the most part it's not like oh this guy i mean once he once you find out what happened then they kind of like go the more traditional route route or whatever or oh like this is the bad guy or what have you but leading up to it that's not the case at all there's really not many hints that he's that was one of, i thought one of the better things in the movie was like that that twist right because even i i didn't really see it coming i didn't really think that was what was going to happen that he you know he murdered his music partner <laughs> that's just a, especially in a kid's movie right so um and i thought they did yeah, it cleverly in that that could really go over most kids' heads. I think yeah. you'd have to probably be a teenager before you really caught what the real implications of that are. Oh, yeah, for sure. It, you know, like your average, like, don't get the wrong idea, your audience or whatever. Like the kid, the movie's fine family for your kids or what have you, right? It's, it's um, like, like you pointed out, like a young kid's not really going to, it's not going to be like, oh, this guy's a sociopath. You know what I mean? But they made it clear enough that the kids would get the turn that De La Cruz is turning from not Miguel's, who Miguel thinks is his great-great-grandfather, to the villain of the movie. They they made that enough. They made that really well that any kid could see that change but they also built in there that you could think more about it what the real implications of that change were yeah and it's yeah for yeah for sure and then uh, you brought up about uh if people forget you on this planet you pass away you have like a second death um in the land in the uh in the the other world right um i really is that a, is that an actual thing in mexican culture is like is that like something they believe or i i don't know because i really like that idea from the reading that i've done i don't believe that is i think that's something that the filmmakers created as another plot device because i mean otherwise what's hector's motivations throughout the movie yeah it'd be it'd be nice to get his picture back on the ofrenda but 
in the end you're just going to sit there in the uh land of the dead where things aren't you okay you don't get to go back and visit your family once a year but you're not gone he needed the, I, they need the filmmakers needed to put that immediacy or else he has no incentive to help miguel get the family's blessing to go back you know he has that immediacy which i thought that was a clever twist in the movie and a clever element that they added i really like that idea though in terms of like a, as a as a, a learning tool for younger people right and this it, people say well you're you scare the crap out of them or what have you right but it it really does it really does emphasize how important it is to remember your grandparents you know and your great-grandparents and your parents and your cousins and your brothers and your sisters um if you have this idea that like once you forget about them or your kids kids forget about them right they start becoming history basically history, they're gone basically, yeah right we're gone and it's just it, it is really true right? like we live people say like it's a cliche saying or what have you right but like once you have a kid like you're as a parent you basically exist so you can live on in your kids memories right but that only goes that, so far it only goes so far right but um but that if that kid has an understanding that like oh they, we got to tell them we got to tell grand like grandparents did this and our grandparents did this it just it, it sets up like a, a system in place where people take traditions a lot more seriously people take um you know family a lot more seriously right i the amount of times that i've heard people say well family is just a word or what have you and it's it's I don't know. I just find it very, and I get it sometimes, but I just find it very sad, right? Because I just want to say to these people, it's like, well, you know, like once you're forgotten, that's it. I wish we had like a more kind of reverence for our elders, right? And when uh, we we talked about this earlier in the podcast, right? Like in terms of uh, just remembering them, right? Because without them, we wouldn't be here, right? I mean, shouldn't we? Couldn't that be like the last thing? That's the least we can do is remember them, right? So that they continue living on. Yeah, I want to thank everyone again for listening to Beyond the Big Screen podcast. Of course, a big thanks goes out to Chris for joining me today to talk about this great movie, Coco. You will definitely be hearing more from Chris soon. A great way to support Beyond the Big Screen is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews really help me know what you think about the show and help other people learn about Beyond the Big Screen. You can also learn more about Beyond the Big Screen movies to watch and stories so great they should be movies on facebook and twitter by searching for a to z history page you can contact me there or send me a good old-fashioned email to my email address steve at a to z history page.com links to all of this and more can be found at beyond the big i will see you next time beyond the big screen